Folks, welcome to episode 56 of the FLW podcast. I'm Jody White. I'm in Benton, Kentucky, and I'm joined by Kyle Wood in Hopkins, Minnesota. Kyle. Hey, hey. Doing? Oh, man, I'm hanging in there. All right. Good stuff. Well, I, I think our first our first topic here is we've been off for a week and a half or so. Uh, not necessarily not working, but not podcasting. Yep. And uh, certainly some not working. How was your Thanksgiving? Oh, you know, it, uh, it, it was, uh, it, it wasn't bad. I, uh, I went down, most of my family's from Iowa. So I went down there, uh, and just kind of hung out. My, my fiance's sister actually got married the Saturday after Thanksgiving. So I kind of turned into part wedding planner as well. I had to do a bunch of stuff for the, for the wedding. So That's pretty much bad. hanging out with family and, and planning wedding. You know, I'm finding out I got all these all these talents, and I think wedding planning might be one of them. Well, uh, you know what? You're probably going to need that, you know, coming up in the future here. So it might thing, come in it's handy. It's a good thing that you feel like you're good at it. <laughs> well, I don't know. I think my definition of good at it, and maybe some other people' definition of being good at a wedding planning, like you know, my fi- my fiance could be different. But I'm going to go with it. Okay. Well, uh, fair enough. And I, I guess uh, keep us updated on that front. Um, yeah, and in case you're wondering, I did not get to go fishing when I was in Iowa. That's a real but bummer. I, I know you went home, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. I went. I went home. Went back to Vermont. Um, fished in Vermont uh, in a snowstorm one day, and then in just really cold weather one day. The uh, snowstorm looked awesome. I have to say. Here's the thing. So it would have been totally awesome, except. I forgot my hat. So I was Ooh. out there with just my hoodie and the top of the hoodie got like soaking wet and I didn't have a hat to wear underneath it. And I was, it was really, that was, it was disgusting and cold and wet and we didn't catch anything, but it Ooh. was pretty awesome because, you know, it, fishing in snow is really fun just from a, it's like it's something you never do. You're making casts and cause there's so many flakes and stuff. You have no idea what your depth perception is doing. Like, Oh yeah. I'll zip a cast out and I'll be like, oh yeah, that one's going to get to the bank. Nope. And the next (laughs) cast, you know, I'll just cast harder and figure it'll land near the bank and it goes three feet up into a tree. It's like, come on. (laughs) Um, so that was, that was wild. Um, and it it was good. I got to fish with dad a bunch. Uh, and I love fishing with dad. Oh, that's cool. I mean, at least you caught some fish. Oh yeah. Well, I went down to Candlewood on, which is in Connecticut. Uh, I guess the Friday right after Thanksgiving and I fished with a buddy of mine and we hammered him. Um, it's a great lake. That lake is awesome in the winter. Um, and it lived up to its, it lived up to its billing. It's, it's a real fun place to go fish. So what, how did you catch, how are you catching them? Oh, uh, we kind of caught them two ways. We caught them, uh, basically sort of slow rolling a swim bait, uh, down in the bottom. Um, or with a jigging wrap, fishing vertically. Um, and the fish are, they're out in, like, let's say 25 to 30 feet of water about now. 
Okay. Um, just kind of on sort of winter areas, like little humps, uh, even some in just like little depressions near, uh, near like rock walls and stuff that, that lake has a lot of really unique man-made cover in it from, you know, it's a reservoir, but so before it was flooded, it had a lot of like, you know, colonial era rock walls and stuff and pieces of like the sound of it. It's really sweet. I'll send you a screenshot, uh, that I have from a while back, it's got more, it's one of the most interesting lakes to look at as far as just going over it with side imaging because it has these perfect rock walls from like old farms and stuff. And they're massive because the rock walls they built back then were like really heavy duty, way bigger than, (laughs) way bigger than like, you know, people put up a line of barbed wire now and that's how we won the West and whatnot. But back then they had to make like, legitimate fences out of rock and it's it's really pre- a pretty cool lake to uh to look at and to fish and it's got tons of big smallmouth Ooh, and I, that makes it even better yeah they're big smallmouth are kind of the best i'm kind of a sucker for a brown fish yeah um i guess i got one question for you and then i feel like it's probably time to get into the actual podcast but how yeah. is uh how sue's doing oh puppies uh She's still being a puppy. She's a little over eight weeks old, so she's she's pretty tiny. Um, but I don't know. She's she's kind of got to experience. Uh, she doesn't like cold. Where That's we found too bad. That out. <laughs> That's gonna that could be an issue in Minnesota. Well, it, it could be, but we're we're working through it. Luckily, my older dog Drake um, is you know kind of helping her along, kind of coaxing her out into the yard. And by coaxing, I mean all she wants to do is chew on him. So wherever he goes, she goes. Which, I mean, works out. Yeah, I mean, the two-dog system is a really good way to go. They're, it seems to me that they're typically a lot less work when the more you have... Well, maybe not the more you have of them, but when you have two or three, it's less work than if you have just one, it seems like. You know, I'm kind of starting to agree with that. Now, I mean, you know, a puppy kind of throws a little bit of a curveball at you, but, you know, by and large, they just kind of... All they want to do is be around each other, which... Works out pretty good for me because all you gotta do is get one to come and the other one will follow. <laughs> but that's uh that's what's up with Sue's. She's she's growing. Well, that's an, that's good. Yeah, nothing nothing too cool yet. We're starting right. to we'll start teaching her. We'll start going into some more formal training for uh for hunting uh, in the coming weeks here. Aside from sit stay and all that. All right. Well, uh, good stuff. And I look forward to the continued updates. This is, I want this podcast to be an audio catalog of Suze's, we, uh, we will Suze's document her, into yeah. the ultimate hunting dog. <laughs> All, All right. right. Well, coming we up and coming up on this podcast, we've got, you know, we've got some news to talk about. Not really a whole lot of news. Uh, it's pretty slow time of year. Um, I know, you know, in the near future, it's fixing to get a little bit uh, hotter as far as sponsorship uh, stuff comes out, especially from FLW. Yep. Um, and of course, we're going to talk to Matt Airy. He's uh, obviously picked up the win this year. He's going to be a good guy to talk to. Um, but before I meant before we get into all that, I just want to mention you and I we're recording on Tuesday, and yes, you know this will be coming out uh, Thursday morning for the people who get it on the website sometime on Wednesday for the people who get it, uh, via iTunes. So we may be missing a little bit of news. Um, that's true. We might be slightly behind. 
don't fault us. Yeah, something could happen on Wednesday. If it happens on Wednesday, if it happens on Thursday, we're going to go ahead. We'll cover it next week because we'll be here at the typical time next week, or at least that's the plan. Yes. All right. Well, well that said, let's go ahead and uh, get Matt Airy on the phone. And now we're joined by Matt Airy. Uh, he picked up his first FLW Tour win on the pro side on Beaver Lake this year. He's a former co-angler champion of the Forestwood Cup. And it's uh, right prime off season. Matt, how are you doing? Doing well together. Awesome. Um, what have you been up to this off season so far? I mean, what what goes on for you once the fishing, at least the tournament fishing, slows down? Well, I'm not going to continue fishing through the off season. I uh, I turn 110 percent of my attention towards uh, towards deer hunting. Uh, I'm not spending time with uh, like a little girl. You know, I'm I'm 20 foot up a tree somewhere it's here in North Carolina. I do quite a bit out in Kentucky too, South Kentucky. Uh, so you sp- you're spending most of your time up in a tree. Then you really have you picked up a rod at all since the Forestwood Cup? I mean, I know I feel like I've seen some <laughs> pictures of you uh, with you and Thrift fishing some tournaments together, right? Yeah, we we fished our uh, we fished the Thursday night tournament here on a little local lake called Lost Lake and. Uh, once we finish those uh, in October, we have a fish off, a year in fish off. Uh, it's a championship top format. It's on a Saturday, and uh, we fished that together. And that was in October, and that's the last time other than one or two guide trips. I just recently sold my boat, but I'm still waiting on my new ones. kind of fun. The guys I've been looking lately, uh, my partner Andy, never could take him so That's the boats right now. So you don't have a boat right now at all, so you're 100% into the hunting game like you were talking about? Well, I was. Uh, you know, the rut and everything's kind of winding down a little bit around us. And, and in Kentucky, I've already been to Kentucky and tagged out back. So uh, that, that was, uh, even the hunting's slowing down now, so I'm kind of uh, getting geared up towards, uh, you know, towards next year, starting to work on sponsorship things, get everything lined up, and getting all my gear in order and kind of straightening out my shop and, and that kind of thing. Oh, okay. So you you're pretty much you're you're just a whitetail guy. You don't you don't chase waterfowl or anything like that. Um, I, yeah. Now, well, I kind of lied there. I, I do do a little bit of duck hunting. We actually uh, we used to do a ton of it, but then I kind of uh, I got I got into the whitetail boat hunting whitetails and uh, pretty much gave up duck hunting altogether. But I do have a couple duck hunts planned for uh, after Christmas down in the eastern part of state, down at the coast. Oh, okay, okay. I know that's kind of a tough deal too if you're gonna. You know, a lot of hardcore waterfowl guys. Um, I know, like, uh, Wesley Strader, Larry Nixon, uh, Shad Skank, all those guys, you know, they pretty much duck hunt all off season, Or, you know, at least when their season comes in. Um, yeah. You know, but if you're, if yeah. you're going to whitetail hunt, you kind of got to, you know, and you want to do it well, you kind of got to commit to it. That's right. Just like fishing, you know, if you want to be good at or be successful at it, you got to put a lot of time in, especially if you're trying to kill big deer, you know, so. Now, uh, let's talk about what, uh, you kill any great big ones this year? What was your success uh, like? I, yeah, um, Kentucky, I was there, uh, um, I've got a buddy of mine on the farm there in Christian County, not too far out of the and, uh, you know, it's not too far from the Southern Hague there, but, uh, we, uh, he's just got some phenomenal property, and the way it sets up, really, the hunt, and not only would, this is my sixth year going to visit him, I was, hunting tag well I shot one every single year but I, I did recover one one year and they're all between uh 130 to 145 inch deer so 
but they're they're good deer. They're three and a half, four and a half year old deer most of the time. Uh, we've seen a few bigger deer out there, but a lot of his deer are in that one thirty to one fifty class range. Even with a bow, I'm I'm just the guy that's not going to pass on. You know, a bow and a five poke deer, one twenty five, one thirty or better with a bow in my oh, hand. Yeah. And uh, I got him this I got him this self filming kick about the middle of last year, and uh, you know I've started self feeding all my hunts, trying to put some stuff together for. Uh, um, from the YouTube channel and that kind of thing. So hopefully I get, I'll get some of that finalized after uh, the season finally comes to a close here soon and, and uh, have some of that stuff up on YouTube and Facebook and that kind of thing for people to enjoy. Cause I'm oh, cool. A ton, so. Now, I also saw this year uh, while while creeping you on Facebook. Um, so were you the guy that got Jacob Wheeler into deer hunting, <laughs> namely bow hunting for whitetail? I'm Charge. I created another monster, but I wouldn't <laughs> call him monster. I just he man he he picked it up and he you knows Jacob. I mean he's so particular and, and pays pays attention to detail. So I knew if if, if he took a liking to it, he'd he become a very successful and, and he had uh you know he's uh he didn't I don't even know if he owned a piece of camouflage before uh you know before <laughs> about the, the basically the cup and then after the cup was over and we started chatting a little bit. I told him he, he came to visit for a few days. And, and we, uh, I came over to the local bow shop here at North Star Street. Uh, I run the shop and came set up with a new hoy. And, uh, I mean, you know, and Jacob, you know, he, he, he went all out. You know, he, he doesn't know how to do anything uh, halfway. He went all out and got the best of the best of everything and bought all and the, the high profile hunting him in the muck boots. He was ready to rock. Now he, <laughs> he, he ended up with it. I mean, he ended up with it. He killed a couple of those and, was able to take a, a pretty decent eight pointer down in North Carolina with me, and and uh, he's been spending. I tell you what, he, he came down to visit actually the week before Thanksgiving, and he, he pulled in, had his suburban, and and uh, pulled into the house there, and, and I opened up the back, and anytime I saw it inside his suburban, he was taking out during the season, and uh, it's just not full of tackling rods, and I mean you can't you can't put your arm there, there's not enough room to put your arm there. I opened it up this time, and I ain't getting it. looked like a, a bass pro shop on the department threw up in the back of his suburban. <laughs> <laughs> it was sent to call stands and bows and arrows and releases and stuff, stuff in there. And he pretty much for the past two weeks before that, he'd been hunting up in Indiana, hunting four or five, six days a week, putting in you know, 10 or 12 hours standing each day. And I'd, say, I'd say he's addicted now. And he would say he's, uh, he's going to be... Uh, He's going to be in for a long, long for the rest of his life. So. Now, you know, that, that doesn't surprise me one bit because after the Rayburn Tour event this year, um, the day after that, I, I, I went fishing with uh, Jacob on, uh, uh, where the heck Toledo was Bend. I? Toledo Bend, that's right, because you were there. Yep. Um, but anyway, Jacob and I go out in the boat, and the first thing he asked me is, you know, I'm thinking, hey, I'm with the Forest Wood Cup champion. We're going to catch us some big old bed and largemouth. It's going to be awesome. And he goes, hey, you want a bowfish? And I'm like, uh, I mean, I, I guess. And he whips out his rod locker. I don't know where he got those those two bows from, but he's like, yeah, I've never done this before, but it looks pretty sweet. And by the end of the day, I could have swore that kid had been doing it, you know, his entire life. He just, you know, that drive and determination he has doesn't surprise me one bit that when you got him hooked into whitetail hunting, he went all out. Yeah, it, it's amazing. And I didn't I didn't even know about the little bowfish until I – you know, I just assumed that he'd never shot a bow in his life because as far as the hunting bow set up, 
I'll bet you those those fish those jelly island let me just borrow them from somebody or no, he and my buddy of his just said, Hey, come in here to go try it. He just go in the boat. Yeah. I forgot about it until the game. So uh, yeah, he but once he got passion for something, he goes all in. I mean I will I will just toot my own horn for a second because I did kill two gar before he even hit one. But uh <laughs> once he connected, he kinda of figured it out and then I just kinda of sat down and watched the show. <laughs> well, I'm trying, trying to blast. <laughs> so, Matt, here's a here's a question from somebody who's never hunted. But do you feel like do you just really like hunting, or do you feel like hunting in any way improves your fishing? Um, uh, you know, it does in a way, just because of. Uh, I mean, and I'm gonna I'm gonna really dial it in and get specific to bow hunting. It's all I do. I mean, I, I used to gun a little bit, white tails anyway, and it kind of got tired of it. I mean. It, Nothing you can say about it. I don't have any kids going hunt. It's just me go out and sit off stand over a hundred acre field and shoot one at two hundred fifty yards with a rifle. It's just not. A, it doesn't. It's not. It doesn't give me any personal satisfaction. So, so you know why I do it if, it, if it's not enjoyable. But the bow hunting aspect and to be able to uh, try to pattern a big deer and and you know a mature animal and and uh, paying attention to detail and, and being real cautious about your scent and playing the wind. Yeah, I definitely think that goes hand in hand with fishing because. Paying attention to detail and fishing is huge, you know, uh, with the changing conditions that we have to, uh, that we that we come in uh, contact with throughout the year in every lake that we fish. So uh, we have to know how to adapt to changing situations. And it's the same in the woods, dealing with any kind of wildlife for that matter. But the bow hunting and the stealth involved in it, and, uh, you know, there's, yeah, there's a lot of different aspects that I think go hand in hand with fishing for sure. All right, good stuff. Kyle, do you have any other uh, hunting-related questions here, or do you want to sort of move on into some other fishing, more fishing stuff? Well, you know, I would love to, but I feel like this show would go on for about, yeah, I don't know, <laughs> a couple more days. So I think, hey, I think hey, we can hey. get rolling, Tom. <laughs> yeah, 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 you're, you're right, because if you get me talking about bow hunting, I don't, I don't, uh, I told my wife, I said, you better hope I don't ever figure out a way to make a living with a bow, because I probably give away all the fucking fish stuff, so. <laughs> Okay, so actually, I'm gonna. I've got a hunting question here. You said you're doing this self filming. What's your What's your rig for that? What's your setup? Um, how are you bringing in one camera, two cameras? What are What are you What are you doing to make this happen? Well, we just. Uh, I've got a buddy that I do some filming with here in Shelby, and we try to. If we as far as self filming, I use a DLSR, which is as good as anything to me for quality. And it's got a 50 optical zoom lens. Uh, also, it's, the lens is completely exposed to light as opposed to some actual video camera, so it gives you a little bit more shooting light. And it's, it's uh, like I said, the quality and being able to pull still shots from it. Uh, we've used uh, ions and GoPros for second angles, um, you know, to be back on back on our cells as opposed to, uh, and then also running like a dust. Sorry, and I'll run that and put that on the deer or the woods or you know, whatever I'm looking at at the time and then run, the, uh, uh, run our secondary camera on myself. Now, if I've got another buddy who's filming with me, you know, we'll both have cameras, plus uh, an ion or something, and we'll get a second thing, and even a third sometimes. Uh, we'll use just uh, the tilt-happening camera arms that strap to the tree. They ratchet to the tree. Uh, there's a lot of different families that make good ones out there, but we use those, and uh, we're able to, you know, swivel it around, pretty much get any angle that we want. And uh, it's a trial and error for us to, you know, to get the light, the sound, and we've, we've experimented with different little shotgun mics, 
and that kind of thing uh, to, uh, to do different, uh, just experiment with. And, and we're learning. You know, it's something that I got into, like I said, not this, not this deer season, but last year's season. And um, every time, you know, it's just like being in a lake every day. You learn something new every time you go out. You learn from your mistakes and what not to do. And, and uh, you know, I tell you what, it's uh, self-filling yourself actually Killing a deer is, is the tough part because of the stealth involved in bow hunting, being able to maneuver the camera and, and uh, you know, even after shot, trying to follow the deer through the woods as he takes off, that kind of thing. It's just a challenge, and I love it. I, you know, I love a good challenge. All right, cool. Um, well, I guess back to back to fishing then. So you were talking about you're sort of getting your off-season prep into gear as far as locking down sponsorships and just sort of the tackle prep side of things. What what do you do for tackle prep? Do you go through and catalog everything and figure out what you need? Are you changing hooks? What's what what goes on on that side of things? Um, yeah, basically, uh, long story short, I full inventory of everything, and I, I I'll do all the soft baits, plastic, first, and then I'll switch over to the hard baits. Uh, kind of looking at our schedule and seeing where we're headed next year for each tour stop, I kind of base it on that. You know, you can't get real specific. You know, things change every year, but uh, I, I try to uh, I try to just jot down you know my my inventory and, and what I need to replenish, whether it's a you know hooks or hooks for baits or hard baits or uh, or just certain plastics, uh, whether it's drop shot weights or you know whatever. Um, I, I I make notes of everything that I need to restock on before the season gets underway. I don't like trying to scramble at all stuff between tournaments, although I do a lot of fit. Everybody does, but uh, I like to have a good inventory of everything before I. You know, before the season even starts. All right. I guess for most people, um, the actual organization and how they put things in their boat is a pretty big challenge. And maintaining that, what do you? What's your organization system? Are you, you know, a multiple Plano boxes kind of guy? Do you keep things in bags? What's your What's your strategy? Yeah, all my all my soft plastics stay in the gigantic Ziplocs, and they're each each one's labeled, and uh, I keep them in giant Tupperwares in the back of my truck and you know depending on the lake and, and what i think i'll be using that day i'll, I'll move uh, it might be four or five six giant ziploc plastic into my boat i usually keep those uh in one box and then all my planos which will be all my hard baits my term terminal tackle weights hooks that kind of thing uh are in each individual plano and they're labeled also uh i keep those uh in, in giant boxes in the back of my truck also and pull them as needed and organize them in the center of my uh, ranger and in the same box there where they've got the Plano organizers. Uh, I saw most of my, most of that stuff all in the new Plano's and then some uh, of the plates and jackets and plots. I like to put, you know, 30, 40 bags on a 60 ziplock and have them labeled uh, by size and shaking colors and that kind of thing. All right, good deal. Um, yeah, I'd say, I imagine that for someone, I mean, you're traveling a lot, but also you probably. You probably have because you're a pro. You probably have a lot more tackle than the average angler, so I imagine that's a pretty big stumbling block, or at least a pretty big challenge. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's uh, sometimes I go crazy, but uh, you know, problem is that once I start tournament, I'm extremely organized. Once it turns over, it looks like a bottom off my boat. You know, <laughs> uh, I try to uh, I try to stay as organized as possible because. You know, you, you never know when you might need something, and you don't want to have to scramble. I mean, time's money on the water for us, so I want to be scrambling around in my boat trying to find something. I mean, I've gotten, you know, some people 
spoke before. I won't say anything. Jacob Wheeler, you know, and, and it looked like a bomb. Bob just went off in their box from the start of the tournament, but let's get into the tournament. So, I don't see how that man ever finds anything in his boat. Apparently, he does, obviously, because he does pretty well. So. Yeah, I mean, he seems to occasionally catch fish, uh, you know, every once in a while. Yeah. Um, <laughs> How about uh, how about Brian Thrift? He seems like to me one of the most organized guys, you know, on tour. Just looking at his well, boat every morning, it's the it looks like he's you know taking out a protractor to put his rods in at just the right angle. Yeah, yeah. You know, I wasn't gonna mention anything, and the uh, since you brought up, <laughs> I <laughs> Brian probably. I mean, you could walk by his boat and uh, so fill a, a drop of water on the side of the, the rub rail or something that he'd probably knock your head off. <laughs> no, he's, he's as particular as anybody there is, you know, on tour with the way he organizes everything. And he's, uh, he's, he's very specific. I mean, uh, we, we stayed together before and, uh, this is years ago, actually we were fishing as co-hangers at the time. And, and uh, he was, we were up at Champlain and we were in a room and he had all the rods. I mean, just lined up in a bell room, just perfect. All the way down the wall. And they had to, they couldn't be touching one another. You know, they had to be separated about six inches between each drive. I had to be facing the same way. And I went over there and picked one up. When I picked one up, uh, you know, uh, you you have thought a bomb went off room or something. <laughs> and we go man, go put watch the rod. You know, watch the kid. But he, uh, you know, obviously it worked for him quite well on tour. And uh, but he's very sick about everything. You know, he, he likes it. He likes it. He, he's one of those people that. And when all the rods reels away on the front deck, one reel can't be facing away from the rest of them. They all have to be facing the same way. You know, that, kind of, that kind of thing. That's a little hard for me, but you know, it worked for me. Which is kind of surprising for Thrift because, you know, you watch that guy in the water, and, I mean, he's yeah. a machine. He's just going along, and, he, you know, it, you watch him set a rod down and pick up the next one and keep going. He's fishing fast, and he's covering a lot of water. And you think a guy like that would be slightly disorganized. But, you know, yeah, I, there's been times where I've been covering him on the water and I get up next to his boat, and like you're saying, I just watched him switch through like four or five rods, yet they're all, it looks like he just started his day out. That's kind of insane. <laughs> That's right. Everything, everything perfectly in order and, and just as neat as you, uh, as you just said, that, you know, like I said before, the tournament started. So. All right. Huh. So I guess, you know, off-season aside, do you, do you feel like your uh, 2014 regular season went the way you wanted it to? Uh, overall, it did. You know, I, I, I still, you know, our, our goals, I think there's, a, you know, three goals, really. I mean, the end of the year, I will obviously be at the top of my list, personally. But, uh, you know, winning the tournament, I finally got that under my belt. And that's, you know, that's, that's a huge a huge weight lifted because, uh, you know, you start, I've, I've been doing it for several years now, and you start to question whether you can really close out, you know, be close a couple times. But, you know, if you start to question what your ability to close a tournament and when you do it, you know, that's a that's a like I said, that's a huge load off your shoulders and now you you got to kind of move forward and accomplish your next step, which is uh you know, win the first book up or uh, or end of the year title and that's what you know, I've I've uh, uh I probably try to be as consistent as I can. You know, I'm not always in the top top tens or top fifteens or whatever, but um you know, I try I try to cash those ten thousand dollar checks every time and uh, it kinda of let the chips play out uh as we will because I, I, you know, like I said, those you can finish in the top fifty all year and guarantee yourself a, a tomorrow for sure. But you've got to start practicing top fives, top tens pretty consistently to uh, to chase that end of the year crown. And 
Um, I feel like, you know, I'm one or two uh, bad decisions away from being from closing that hopefully over the next few years. So we'll see, you know, take it day by day and, and uh, see what the future holds. All right. So what sort of what sort of goals do you have for 2015 then? You know, like I said, uh, chasing that angler of the year title number one. But in order to do that, you got to qualify for the cup. Obviously, and you need to uh, you need to build that around consistency. Uh, you know, I'd like to make a few more cuts. Uh, you know, I think uh, Beaver might have been the only cut that I made this year, other than the one top twenty cut of the cup. Uh, I uh, making for wood cup number one, uh, number two. You know, making a good run of the angler of the year title. All right, fair enough. Do you like the uh, Do you like the 2015 tour schedule? I do. Uh, I mean, I, I don't like going to Florida. I've never liked going to Florida. I enjoy Florida. <laughs> it's great fishing, but I hate I hate tournament I hate tournament fishing in Florida. I mean, just straight up. And it, you know, I have a lot of personal reasons because of that. And, you know, a lot of guys agree with me on the basis that Florida just it, it's a different animal. Well, it's hard to sometimes gauge, you know, especially someone like Okeechobee. It's just a phenomenal fishery, but it's got so many fish in it. And you get down there in January, February, when a lot of fish spawn, a lot of fish haven't spawned, and it's hard for me to really get an understanding of how many fish coming and going in an area. I mean, I've had days in Texas where I go through an area and I, you know, I flip up, you know, 25 pounds in 30 minutes, or or catch a seven six and a four like I did in an area last year, and then go back in there and have a fish twice as many fish and never get a five-pound bite, and it just, it, it drives me nuts. But I, I can't, you know, I can't figure out. I've never really put my uh, put my finger on what the deal is down there. I've, that's the hardest by far that my worst finishes on tour over the past few years. I hope that changes the picture because I, I, I had to dig out of a hole last year. I got finished 90-something at Okeechobee. And, um, the last time we were down there before that, I think I finished. 70-something, 80-something, and those ended up being my worst finishes of those seasons. And, and I hate having to find out of a hole. It's a lot easier to uh, to, uh, to to stay on your ground or sustain that ground as opposed to making up ground and sustaining progresses. So. Yeah, for sure. I'd say I'd say you have a pretty good chance at figuring out Florida eventually because, I mean, Cody Meyer and Brent <laughs> Ayler both did. And yeah. for a long time, yeah. they had a lot of trouble in Florida. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and that, that gives people like me hope. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, now if you say uh, Florida's kind of your least favorite, is there any venue on the schedule next year that you are kind of like, you know, man, I can't wait to get out there and you know start practicing? Well, of course, Beaver's always been my favorite place to go hands down. And it, you know, it has to do with winning there this year. I, mean, I said that three years ago. It was one of my favorite destinations, and I like it. I like all those are like Table Rock is a favorite. One of my favorites. I've never uh, had the pleasure of fishing Bull Shoals, but uh, Beaver and Table Rock definitely. Uh, I like this lake because they're Ozark bluffs, they're natural lakes, and uh, or at least a lot of the banks natural in the lakes. Um, you know, it's easier to read, it's easier to adapt. Uh, the great pattern fisheries. Uh, they have multiple species of fish in them, which I, you know, that's always entertaining to me to, to potentially catch smallmouth, spot hearts, mouse, and even mean mouse in those fisheries uh, throughout a tournament. Uh, the time of the year that we go there has a lot to do with it. You know, pre-spawn spawn is one of my favorite times to fish. Uh, that's probably one of my strongest suits is a pre-spawn spawn type feeling. And this year it looks like, uh, or next year, excuse me, it may be more of a spawn deal um, since it's the latter part of April. You never know, you know, depends on what kind of winter they have and spring they have. But uh, um, I'm all for the beaver, no doubt. 
which I don't know if a lot of people know this, but like you said, you, you've always said that Beaver Lake is one of your favorite lakes. And I, I thought that was kind of cool when you won this year because a lot of people were like, oh, you know, they look at your angler profile, uh, you know, on the <laughs> FLW website. And they're like, oh, this guy said Beaver Lake, you know, well, no, duh, you won. But no, yeah, that's been like that for, right. you know, as long as you've had your angler profile thing. Yeah, yeah, it has. And, uh, you know, like I said, for, for a lot of different reasons. But um, And I just love that area. I mean, the people are great. The, the scenery is just gorgeous. You know, it's just a beautiful area. And uh, like I said, the, the lake's full of fish. I mean, it's not it's not your Okeechobee or your Falcon or somewhere you're allowed to go out there and catch 40 pounds. But, and, be, and we've seen an improvement in beaver over the past few years that we've been there. I mean, there's 20-pound bags. I mean, Brian proved oh, yeah. that a couple years back when um, when we were there, and uh, I think it was early March, and it was a strong pre-bone bite, shirt bait bite, and that type of deal. But, uh, I mean, there's there's a lot of good quality fish in the lake. It seems to be improving every year. And like I said it's full of fish, so you, you get a lot of bites when you go to beaver. Um, and it's a great pattern lake, so you can you can kind of tend to be able to duplicate stuff throughout the lake. And I love a lake that sets up that's a good pattern lake. When you sort of first started coming out to Beaver, did you did you just like it because it was a pattern lake, or did it, or did, is it sort of somewhat similar to the waters you fish in and around you in North and South Carolina? Because you know we saw Casey Ashley go out to Beaver Lake this year, and he'd never fished there before, and he made the top ten. And I'm just wondering if maybe it sort of translates a little bit from what you're used to fishing. Well, it does in a way, but what I think is so cool is it actually brings a lot of diversity into one lake, meaning that, you know, you've got your river, you've got your stained water, you've got your shallow largemouth, you've got your wood and your rock and your, you know, that type of thing. I mean, there's been strong dock bites at Beaver before, um, which, you know, in the Carolinas, that's a huge deal. Uh, But at the same time, you know, Casey's, had a lot of experience on Parks Hill, Hartwell, those type of lakes, which are herring lakes. But the fish in Beaver, especially on the lower third of that lake, kind of set up the same type of way they do on, on some of our lakes uh, down in South Carolina. Uh, so you have a lot of, it's almost like a whole lot of our fisheries. I mean, I see I see parts of Norman in Beaver. I see parts of Wiley in Beaver. I see parts of Hartwell in Beaver. You know, it's kind of a combination of, of all of them. And I think the diversity of that lake is what's so attractive to there's a lot of guys from the Carolinas that have done well out there over the years, and I think that has a lot to do with it because of the versatility of the guys from our area based on the different types of fisheries we have around here, and you can kind of pick your poison with you go to beaver. Um, you know, there's a lot of different ways to approach beaver, and um, I think that's that's what's so neat about it. All right, I agree. I like that. It makes it fun to cover, too. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Because y'all, y'all can get a. I mean, you can get a huge um, diversity of what different guys are doing. And I mean, you might be covering a guy who's flipping in the foot of mud, you know, for shallow mm-hmm. largemouth, and then you might go down to a guy who's uh, trying to catch suspended fish with a grub in thirty foot of water, where you can see the bottom twenty feet deep. You know? Absolutely, <laughs> and, absolutely. And to, to see that on one fishery is is pretty unique. Uh, for sure. That's uh, that's definitely one of the cooler stops, and it's I, I agree with you 100%. It's one of the stops I like. Um, so I threw out on, on Twitter this afternoon uh, a call for questions um, for you, and we've, we've got one anyhow, and it was one I was going to ask anyhow, which I'm, I'm glad. Um, it means it's a good question, I guess, but or at least something that people are interested in. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. So you won the Forestwood Cup as a co-angler back in 2006. And in 2016, there aren't going to be any co-anglers at the Forestwood Cup. Um, 
what are what are your thoughts on that particular rule change? Because you seem uniquely positioned to have a ha- have a good opinion on it. Well, <laughs> y'all gonna get me beat up over this. <laughs> no, no I, we're not. <laughs> I, uh, no, I. You know, I, I do have a unique perspective on it because I did start my career as a co angler, and you know, when FLW offered that uh, that opportunity, you know, I didn't hesitate. I started in two thousand five. I took off, didn't know anybody and uh, was traveling by myself, staying by myself, didn't practice, and uh, just started meeting guys, kind of networking my way in to the circuit and got to know some of the Carolina crew. Um, you know, at the time, it was Bum Gardner and Jeffrey Thomas, Chris Elliott. Some of those guys took me under their wing, let me practice with them a little bit once I got to know them. And then uh, Brian and Andy joined me in 2006 as co-anglers, and, and that was the year that I ended up winning the Cup. And that did catapult me to the front of the boat. And uh, uh, it actually, I was one of the, fortunate ones I, I was able to, to sign a, a sponsorship deal for 2007 to fish from the front of the boat and uh, I couldn't pass it up you know mentally and looking back on it yeah I wish I'd have stayed co-hunger another year because um, you can never you know you can never learn too much obviously but uh it was a it was just an opportunity like I said I couldn't pass up and I, I jumped over to the front and that that gave me a little bit of financial stability uh with the sponsorship stuff along with winning the cup as a co-hunger to go ahead and do it um, and, and not have to worry about anything but catching fish for that first year. Uh, now, my rookie year was a, a big learning curve for me, and I realized, you know, I wasn't mentally ready. So uh, I had to step back and take a look. But as far as, you know, with the elimination of co-hangers, I mean, I, I'm not going to I'm not gonna sit here and lie. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased to see that. And the main reasons are the spotlight and the publicity for the pros. I mean, if you want to create more of an elite circuit and get the publicity – for the guys that are really out there doing it for a living. Now, and don't get me wrong, there's a lot of co-anglers that are looking to move to the front of the boat and do it for a living. But then again, the cup has nothing to do with that. You know, the, when I when I took my approach and I said, all right, I want to go be a co-angler, it, it didn't have anything to do with I want to go be a co-angler and make a living at this. It was I want to go be a co-angler and eventually fish as a professional full-time. And so I'm going out there to learn. If I caught fish, great. If I didn't, so what? I still was out there and I learned a lot. So, you know, it's one of those deals. It was a win-win for me. Um, I think a lot of guys are, are getting the wrong impression in, in that, you know, FFW is not trying to just eliminate co-angers from the whole deal and, and you know, cr- totally ruin that opportunity for anybody to pursue a professional career in fishing because, like I said, I had, you know, my whole idea of going in was I'm, I'm doing this just to learn, to get my feet wet, to see different lakes, to travel around the country, to meet new guys, and to create these experiences that I can – take and and uh and carry forward and fishing professionally and and but as far as the you know the co-angers have a place in a championship format like that i don't think they i don't think they do but i mean they you know we have to as pros we actually have to fish differently we have to approach everything differently when we have somebody in the back of our boat and not only do we have to worry about every fish that they catch you know i mean you take murray for this year murray was a grinders tournament and I like a grinder's tournament, but at the same time, you know, if I'm going down the bank and picking off these shallow resonant fish, and I don't know how many there are, if they're even going to replenish, or, or if I'm just going to have to continue covering new water, you know, I, I like to be able to, to to know and get a better feel for how many fish are in an area, and can I go back through that area and maybe pick one up, but every one that he catches, you know, yeah, I left it behind, but at the same time, I might have planned on running that water again the next day and picking up one or two. I mean, one bite at Murray was, was huge you know, much less three or four. Um, but that's just an example. I mean, that's one of few um, or one of many that you can uh, that you can look at from the perspective that, you know, do they have a, 
a place in the in the cup. And no, I mean, I, I think I think we're going to be a lot better off. I think the sport's going to be a lot better off. I think the pros are going to be a lot better off, and I think the fans are going to be a lot better off because you'll see a lot more emphasis and spotlight on the guys and where it should be as opposed to where it was before somewhat. All right. There you go. Um, I like it. Do you uh, do you still have Allie the dog? We do, yep. Okay. I was just looking through your profile pictures, and I was like, oh, it's a dog. I got I to gotta ask about <laughs> Allie because I hadn't seen – I don't think I saw Allie on tour this year. Um, although maybe I no, just wasn't she, looking. Uh, yeah, she, uh, no, she's making any of them this year. She has, uh, she has been to a few before and she doesn't go very many places with my, um, without, uh, or my wife doesn't go very many places without the dog. So, um, Allie's eight now. That's uh, our golden retriever. And she's, uh, actually was just recently diagnosed with, uh, uh, it's a uh, hemangiosarcoma. It's a type of cancer that golden's are pretty, um, it's pretty common in golden retrievers and I think German shepherds, but, um, they removed what they thought they, uh, you know, what, what they could and, and they don't know if they got it all or not. So we're just keeping our fingers crossed. She's still, um, she's still, she's back to acting like a puppy again and, um, everything's good. So, uh, but we, uh, she's been a great dog. We've got a little two year old girl breeze now and, and, uh, golden retrievers and, you know, in my opinion, are one of the best breeds there are out there as far as kids are concerned. Yeah, they certainly are cool dogs and obviously best of luck with Allie's health. Um, that's, well, that's you. always scary. Um, I guess I've got, I guess I've got one more question here. Um, you're, you, um, you said you don't have a boat right now. You've sold your, you've sold your boat. Yes, that is correct. And my new one is, uh, should be done sometime in January. So not till after Christmas. All right. Um, what boat are you running and are you running the new Evinrude? I will be. And, uh, you know, I can't wait. I, uh, um, I, I'm, I'll be running a, a Ranger 520C again, same boat I ran this year, and uh, it, it will be paired up with the new uh, Evanrude G2. And uh, the G2, man, I mean, I I, I can't wait. Um, I actually was probably one of the few that didn't get the pleasure of test driving one uh, when we were at our last tour event down at Lake, and I didn't have time to do anything to Murray. So, um, but uh, you know, I've seen them. I've seen them run. I wasn't actually in the boat, but the whole shot, uh, the overall performance. Uh, the, the the cleanliness of that engine, uh, which amazes me, and uh, the, it's supposed to be a little bit better on fuel. Um, and like I said, the whole shot's not just thing. Uh, I can't I can't wait to have you know have the new G2 in the back of my boat because uh, that's one thing I've been looking forward to uh, ever since I heard uh, or they revealed that engine several months back. And um, I'm excited I'm excited to see it. Uh, I'm excited to run it too. Yeah, they they let me drive it at Kentucky Lake, and that. It is a kick in the pants. It's it's an amazing motor. Um, <laughs> it, it really is. I, I was one of the guys at the when they had that unveil back in whenever that was June. Uh, that went there and covered it yep. and got a ride around in one, and I was absolutely blown away. That whole shot, like you're saying, is probably yep. one of the most impressive things I've seen in an outboard motor. Yeah, that's that's what I've heard, and, and I actually saw uh, you know I saw the guys when they were test driving them at uh, Kentucky Lake, and I saw them take off. And, and it blew me away. Um, so that's uh, and and that's a big deal to me. I mean, especially when we get a full load of fish and uh, all our tackle and gear and you know a coal hanger and everything loaded down to the boat, uh, a full pack of gas and you know it's that whole stuff's a big deal because when you get a full load, you know before it's uh, sometimes it's a little challenging to get out of the hole, but that you know this is going to change everything. All right. So, now I don't I don't know if you're trying. Oh, sorry, Jody. You oh, can go on. Go go ahead, Kyle. Oh, I was just going to say, uh, Matt. I don't. 
I don't know if you want to like let the cat out of the bag, but I know you can get those G2s in some cool colors. Do you have a cool color picked out? <laughs> Man, you know, I've, my boat, I don't personally. Uh, I know some guys that, that will. Uh, my boats have been white, silver, black, pretty basic white, silver, black colors. I've always been able to resell those colors pretty pretty quickly and efficiently. So um, I just went with the uh, the stock black and white G2. Um, it'll be a black. It'll be a black cowling with the uh, um, with the. I think it's got white white writing and whatnot on it. But uh, I went with one of the stock. That, you know, there's a white and a black stock color, and yep. uh, I went with the black stock. So uh, I don't have anything crazy or wild picked out. Although, you know, some guys may. Yeah, and I, it crossed the line. But then, you know, when the wrap comes off of it at the end of the year, and you go to resell the boat, um, like my Wacom wrap this past year was multiple colors of green and i think it'd be awesome to have a g2 to match that wrap but at the same that's time, what i'm saying you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah well when the wrap comes off and you've got the green motor on the back of a white boat you know i don't want to deter people from wanting to buy it so, well i tell uh, you what you do I you, you get yourself a cool color boat uh a wrap that is whatever color which by the way on a slight off tangent uh do you have any sponsors you can reveal for who they are for 2015 uh, not that I can reveal yet. I don't. Okay. So, uh, I mean, not, I mean, it, it, it's very close, but, um, but not that I can reveal yet. I, I mean, my rod sponsor, uh, Kisselcraft, they're back. Um, P-Line, uh, you know, TH Marine, Power Pole, uh, all those guys are back with me, Evan Rude Ranger. But, uh, as far as my, my, my title sponsor on my boat, uh, uh, and or truck, uh, not yet. So, okay. uh, but, okay. but soon, but soon, very soon. Well, either way, you get yourself a, if you have a wrap that's, you know, like that, that green one you had last year, you can get, mm -hmm. you know, new color side panels that go on that G2 to match it up. That's and then right. you keep them regular ones, take those side panels off, sell it back with the white and black, boom, problem that's, solved. You now have a cool yep. motor. That's correct. And that's, that's one of the coolest things I've ever seen in this industry is being able to color coordinate your motor and those panels with, uh, with your boat. So, uh. We do have that option. I mean, I, you're right. I could do that. I could take the stock panels off and put um, whatever color panels I wanted on to match the wrap for the season, and then and then pull those back off uh, before I sell it. So, yeah, we'll talk style once you get your boat wrap figured out. You and I. Can. <laughs> yeah, there we go. There we go. You, you you can be my fashion designer, Kyle. I'll oh yeah, man. I'm, yeah. I'm there for you, bud. I'm there for you. I mean, they have they have interior decorators for houses and stuff. Kyle, you might want to start a side business doing that for boats, based on your level there you of interest. Go. You know, I think there I will. Go. I think anyone listening to this that needs a little style tip for the boat, go on ahead and contact me. I'll see what I can do for you. <laughs> All right, it'll work. <laughs> good stuff, um, Kyle. Do you have anything else uh, for Matt, or shall we let him uh, let him get on nope. the road again? I, I think we should let Matt hit the road and get to where he needs to be. All right, All right guys. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, Matt. Thanks for coming on. And you know, before you go, where can people follow you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Facebook at Matt Airy Fishing. Uh, the same in Instagram. It's Matt Airy Fishing on Twitter also. All right. Nice and simple. I like it. Well, Matt, thanks for coming on, and best of luck uh, this off season, and then down at Toho. Thank you, Matt. Okay, guys. Yeah. Uh, thanks for having me. So, Kyle, we we just got off the phone with Matt Airy, um, and he was he was as usual a really good interview. We had, I guess, you know, oh, yeah. a few audio difficulties early on, but it seemed to really improve as we went on. And man, I could I could talk with him all day. I feel I feel like. And I'm you know I'm the same way. I I, I got to follow him around on the water a little bit this year. 
and you kind of forget that you're actually talking to a guy that's fishing for some money. You know, he's so laid back and he, you know, he loves people and loves talking that, uh, I mean, it, it just makes it fun. Yeah. I, I don't know for sure, but I feel like he and Travis Fox, or maybe it was just Travis Fox, but at the Beaver Lake event, I, I think both of those guys caught fish while Kurt was in the boat videoing them for like those uh, on the water, on the water yeah, videos we did. And, I think that is correct. And I think that's just, that's pretty cool when a guy will let, will let somebody hop in the boat and do that with them. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, not that, not that I think, you know, every pro should do it. I, I like that guys are professional and, you know, kind of, you can tell they have a game face, but when a guy's that relaxed and still that good, I think that's a pretty sweet combo. For sure. Did anything anything in particular stick out about the interview to you? Um, any any anything you're most interested in? Um, you know, I think probably I I don't know. I think the the coolest thing was probably hearing him talk about the uh, you, you know the co angler rule change for the cup in 2016. Um, you know, being that like you said in the interview, he does have that that kind of cool perspective you know, winning the, the cup as a co-angler beforehand and now fishing as a pro. Um, I, I, I thought his take on it was, uh, was pretty interesting. You know, the whole, he, he doesn't think that, you know, co-anglers kind of go in the cup and, and I'm kind of on that same mindset. You know, I'm kind of with, with Ari on that one. Yeah. I'm definitely with him on it. Uh, one thing that I thought was a little bit interesting was I feel like a lot of times when pros say that they sort of couch it as, and you know, I feel bad for him, uh, or I, I realize it's a big opportunity. And he really didn't say that, which I kind of no. like. He was just like, you know what? This is the way it should be. And even when I was a co-angler, I was not shooting to win the cup. I was shooting to get out there and learn and become a pro. Right. So, like, I I thought that was kind of cool that he uh, was was such a straight shooter about it. Oh, I absolutely agree. Because you're, you're right. A lot of guys do try to, you know, not really. I don't know, to cover their tracks isn't the right word, but, um, you know, they kind of backpedal a little bit when they hit, you know, something that's kind of as big and significant as that. But, you know, like we said, Ari has that experience, and he's like, hey, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to learn, and I wanted to go pro, and that's what the large majority of co-anglers uh, are trying to do, especially the top tier of co-anglers. You know, we're all trying to make it pro. Um, so I think this, I think it'll be good overall. For sure. Um, I guess digging into our actual news here, um, the first thing I've got down is uh, last week FLW uh, signed on with, uh, or Yamamoto Baits signed on with FLW. Yeah, I mean, they've sold a few baits before. Yeah, they seem to be, you know, a pretty solid company to work with. Uh, It seems like like they make a few pretty decent baits, uh, one of them being the Senko. Um, Yeah, I don't don't know. Some people have probably heard of that before. Yeah, and and I, you know, Gary Yamamoto has fished the FLW Tour for quite a while. Uh, mm-hmm. He's uh, innovating some brand new rigs, um, making top tens at the. Uh, he did make the top ten at that uh, Rayovac on the Mississippi, right? Yeah, yeah, he did. Um, so I, I think that's real cool to see them signed on. And my question for you is, I'm sure you've used their stuff. What's what's your favorite Yamamoto bait? Well, I don't really want to say a Senko, but I really like a Senko. <laughs> okay. I, I do like, uh, I'm also a big fan of the, 
the Hula Grub. Okay. And I'm also a big fan of the Shad Shape Worm. All right. See, so obviously I've used Sankos. I use them a lot. Well, not a ton. I use them a little bit because I hate Sankos. Um, (laughs) It's not that I hate Sankos themselves. I hate that I have to wait around and wait around and wait around, and then I catch one. Um, But you didn't mention any of my favorite baits, and the Shad Shape Worm probably should be one of my favorite baits, but for whatever reason, I haven't used it. But I would say... I would say my two favorite baits are the flapping hog and the cuttail. Um, oh, okay. And I I use the four and a half inch and I use the seven and a half inch cuttail, or maybe it's six and a half inch. I, I don't know. I think it's six and a half. Six and a half, yeah. Yeah. So I use that cuttail and I use the four and a half inch cuttail, and then I love me the sort of regular size, not the big flapping hog. Right. Um, I've never, I've actually never used a cuttail worm. Well, I tell you what, if you uh, went and watched my dad fish for a summer, you would be like, man, be... <laughs> I got to get me some of these cuttail worms. Because <laughs> uh, he catches a ton of fish on them, and I've definitely caught a lot of fish on them. And they were, honestly, uh, the last, you know, of the last three smallmouth, of the last four bass I caught, Three of them came on a cuttail worm because that's what I did um, last Saturday when it was 26 degrees on Bamo. Oh. Uh, on a drop shot. Well, okay, I could see that. I could see that being a good drop shot yeah, worm. Yeah, those, those little four-and-a-half-inch ones, they've got a great action. They come in some good colors. Uh, they're, a, they're a prime drop shot bait. Um, now, have you used any of their hard baits? I haven't. Have that's you, what I kind of want to try. I have not used any of them, uh, but they look cool. They they look cool. Jay Ellis seems to like them, which is basically enough for me. Yeah, um, that's all. The, that's all I need. I mean, I I don't really need much more than a Jay Ellis endorsement for me to be like, oh yeah, I'd like to fish that sometime. Um, I I haven't really been in the market for a square bill recently, but if I break a bunch of them off, I I will probably try one of their square bills because those look probably like the most interesting thing of that lineup to me. Mm-hmm. And they did come out with a weight crank, I believe, at ICAST last year or this past year. Um, not that I'm a big, like, wake bait kind of guy, but I feel like I could do some damage with that little thing. I think you could. And I think, I think, so remember you and I, we were on the Mississippi River this summer uh, catching topwater smallmouth? Oh, yeah. How could I forget? Yeah, I mean, it was a blast. I think a wake bait might have crushed those fish not that we needed to catch any more of them because they were <laughs> crushing the strike king sexy dog they were chopping pretty good i think a wake bait could have been a, a good way to go with those guys oh i agree and i'd also i've always kind of wanted to start throwing uh a wake crank around um like docks and, and boat lifts you know and kind of shoreline structure like that where you might have milfoil not necessarily matted up quite underneath but you get those little lanes um, between milfoil clumps and the dock itself, you know, that might only be, you know, a foot wide and pretty shallow. I've always thought a weight crank could be kind of something to throw through there, but. It, it just, could be, but I don't know how you would do that because you would have to also be throwing a buzz bait at the same time. <laughs> and how could you, I mean, can you really fish a crank bait and a buzz bait at the same time? Like, I feel like you need four hands to do that. Where there's a will, there's a way. Okay. 
Um, but <laughs> when you when you manage that, I want to see it. All right. I'll All get right. the ions cranked out, and I'll, I'll film some of that this summer. All right. All right. Good stuff. Um, one update. This is not even – I just kind of put this here because I was like, well, what's going on? Um, it's about a month before the BFL season starts. Um, on Okeechobee, Gator Division, uh, January 3rd, I believe. Um, I think you're right. Yeah, it is January 3rd, and I tell you what, I'm starting to get excited. That's that's pretty much all I've got. <laughs> hey, it, it doesn't seem, I mean, it just seemed like, you know, a couple months ago it was forever until the next BFL, and now, uh, I mean, this month is going to fly by, and we're going to be back in, in tournament mode before we know it. Uh, for sure, because, you know, Christmas will come, and, you know, it's that'll take just, a whole big chunk of time from doing all sorts of family stuff and running around and then uh, new year's. And then all of a sudden it's going to be time to go. Yep. And that, that'll be kind of fun. I'm kind of excited. Probably. I don't know if I'm as giddy as you, but I'm ready. I'm ready for 2015 to get here. All right. So I guess one thing that ran last week on the website and it's still up, you can go into the news or the what's trending section on, flwoutdoors.com we got an article up about off-season rehab um and it kind of updates about a variety of guys from like dudley to lambert to bill day and i think that is if you're interested in how guys are doing post-surgery or what sort of surgeries guys are having i think that's worth a look um but i don't want to dig into that fully you know eh? yeah yeah i'm with you it is a good read and it is interesting to see who knew so many guys were having stuff done I really had no idea, and I would have missed, you know, I wouldn't have even known about Bill Day until I was talking to Upshaw, and he was telling me about Bill Day, and there's, it sounds like there's probably somebody else out there that we're missing, and I had no idea that Lambert um, was hurting and, until Colin told me that, you know, Lambert was having something done. So it's we, there's a pretty good chunk of guys um, who are probably going to be healthier next year than they were this oh, year. Oh, yeah. No, it's definitely a good read, especially if you're someone that's jonesing for your fix of FLW Tour pro gossip. Not really gossip, news. Um, it's kind of interesting. Plus, it'll be cool to follow those guys along and see how, you know, are they yeah, are they more put together for next year after having all kinds of surgeries and whatnot. I'm certainly looking forward to seeing, uh, seeing how David Dudley does. Not that he could – I mean, he would – he would have to do insanely well to do any better than he did this year. Uh, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but we know it's possible for him. And, you know, a fully healthy David Dudley uh, is a pretty frightening sight. It kind of is. Especially with the Potomac. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so, Kyle, I'm about to take off tomorrow, anyhow. That's why we're recording this thing a little bit at a different time. I'm going down to the Ranger Advantage... Um, tour it's like basically this it's a dealer info session basically where pros and dealers come down and they learn about the new rangers and they learn how to sell them um and i know you've sort of been to events like a little bit like this you know i feel like they're sort of showing off the you went to the evan one where they're sort of showing that off uh and it's not entirely the same thing but it's kind of it's kind of similar um 
and I've never done anything like this. So I guess if you were going down, what would what would you be looking for? What would what would you want to know? Who would you want to talk to? Um, what sort of perspective would you want to get? Um, you know, I I'd probably like when I go to something like that. Um, I don't know. I think it's kind of cool to see those guys that are you know kind of behind the boat, like the knowledge. You know, when I went to the Evan Root thing, I went to a Mercury thing uh, this past summer. You got to see those guys that, you know, obviously everyone knows, you know, pros are associated with, you know, a company, you know, most of them, you know, at FLW or with Ranger. Um, but you never really get to know any of those guys that are kind of behind the boat or that know way more about the boat than you ever care to know. And I'm kind of a gear geek like that. So I like those, you know, if they have anyone that, uh, you know, maybe help design a feature on the boat or, uh, you know, any of those regional sales managers for rangers that have been around for a while that know way too much about a boat those are the kind of guys i like to pick the brains and just like to hear them talk so that kind of be how i'd be going into it yeah that that sounds good to me i i definitely wanted to talk to somebody at ranger who sort of is an expert of the boat and i think i'm hoping to get some audio for sort of future podcasts i don't want to promise anything but that's the hope (laughs) um but I also, I kind of also want to talk to a dealer because I've never, you know, I've, I've never really shopped for a bass boat per se. And I, I'd be curious to find out sort of what, how these, how people go about selling a Ranger, you know, or any bass boat really. Because I oh, think yeah. that, that would be, that's an interesting thing that I'd like to, like to hear from. Yeah, I think, uh, and then a bit, you know, just have fun. That's all you can do with these. You're, you're there to learn about stuff, hear some stuff, meet some cool people. Should be. I'm actually pretty jealous. I don't get to go. Yeah, I mean, uh, from what I understand, uh, should be some uh, great deals on clothing. So you know, maybe I could pick you up a hat if you want. Hey, now um, you should call me because you know how much I like clothing. I'm a big t-shirt and hat guy. Yeah. So uh, you know, who knows if I if, if I see the right thing, uh, maybe I'll maybe I'll hook you up. Um, yeah, I'd appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, you know, like, uh, like we said at this morning's meeting, um, we are all getting free boats, so that should be good, too. <laughs> oh, man. See, that's the thing I'm most jealous about. <laughs> I know. The free boat, right? <laughs> that, yeah, I, I would like a, I, I would not say no to a free boat, but I don't think that's happening. <laughs> no, I don't think, uh, I don't think they'll quite be able to spot that. You might get a free hat, though. Well, I'll tell you what, if I do get a free hat, I really hope it fits, because I have, very particular tastes in hat fit. Um, and I, I go, I'm about probably one for five on hats. You know, I, <laughs> most of them, I, I wear them for a day and I'm like, nope, this isn't going to cut it. And it doesn't get into my regular rotation. I am the exact same way. Yeah, do you, you know, do you get to the point where you look at who made the hat, like on the inside and try to find out where you can get more hats like that? Yes. That I do company? this. I do the same thing for long sleeve shirts. Oh, because um, I have, so Gildan makes a long sleeve shirt that they make them in a couple of different weights of cotton, but those shirts they fit me perfectly. The, the <laughs> sleeves, the la- size large, the sleeves are the right length. They're not too billowy. They're perfect. If I can find a shirt like that, I feel so much better about buying it than I do about some other shirt where I'm like, eh, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> um, so it's yeah, I I definitely have gotten to that and. I would agree on the on the hat side of things. There's there's a few hats that, you know, I, I look at them and I'm like, 
oh, this is the same. This is the same hat. <laughs> it yep. just has yeah, different logos on it or it. whatever. <laughs> uh, right now, I'm really looking out for another one of those. The new Evinrude hats are really nice. They fit me great. I'm really looking for another one of those in a different something on it. But oh, that's I was going to say, I was going to say, I think I have one, and I'll give it to you. Does it not fit you? Uh, it kind of does, but I'm not 100% sold on it. All right. Well, I have, I, a, am... I, have, I have a big noggin, so it's hard It's hard for me to find good hats that fit my head. Yeah, I, I sh- it shouldn't be hard for me because I have, I have a pretty – I feel like I have a pretty normal-sized head. Um, but, yeah, I, I really like those Evinrude ones. They fit me great um, when I've got – when I have a, a very varying range of hair, um, cause my hair, my hair length fluctuates a lot. <laughs> um, I, you know, I usually go a few months before getting a cut. So, uh, you know, the ability to adjust to that extra, extra bit, uh, seems key. Ah, uh, yes. All right. Anyhow, let's, uh, let's pull this thing back together. We'll get back on the rails or we'll back try on track. to, um, one other piece of news, sponsor-related news, uh, Scott Martin signed with Rig Wrap. Uh, by the time you're listening to this, the information will certainly be on the site. Um, and that's that's good for him. I didn't know he had any more sponsor real estate on his jersey, so I'm... I, you know, I didn't either. <laughs> I, I, here's what I'm thinking. I think it, I'm thinking this patch probably goes on his underarms so that when he wins and holds the trophy up, that's when you see it. Oh, that, you know... And it's kind of sad because that's probably the only spot he could fit it on his jersey, pending every sponsor he has on there comes back next year. Which, I mean, why wouldn't they? He's Scott Martin. That's true. That's a very good point. All right. so That's a smart place. You should go into uh, jersey design. <laughs> I, I don't know about that. I, no, it seems like It seems like my tastes around jerseys do not reflect other people's tastes. <laughs> uh but you know what? That's their problem. Um, anyhow, <laughs> moving on from that, bass fishing recently got quite a bit of coverage today in uh, some mainstream news sites. Uh, Grantland.com, uh, they had a big piece about cheating in bass fishing. Mm-hmm. And uh, the New York Times uh, put a big piece up on the A-Rig. So Kyle... I know you sort of read your way through the A-Rig article, which I sort of only skimmed. Um, did you have any particular takeaways from that? Um, well, basically the the article was about um, Andy Poss. And for anyone that doesn't know who Andy Poss is, he was the guy that invented the Alabama rig. Um, and it kind of talks about his story and, and, you know, coming up with his idea for the thing and, how it worked its way into the professional level of fishing, and now that it's starting to be outlawed. But there's a few tour pros, uh, Casey Martin and Dave Lefebvre, uh, both weigh in and give their thoughts um, to the Times, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, and I mean, it's a pretty it's a pretty good article. Yeah, I thought it was I thought it was pretty good. I find it pretty hard to believe that Andy Poss uh, invented it without ever seeing the umbrella rigs they use for like stripers and stuff in saltwater. Well, now he did, he got it from, um, some tuna show on like the BBC network or something. 
I'm probably not getting that 100% oh, right. I don't know. Maybe you're, see, I did only skin the article, but maybe you're, uh, but he did the idea. Right. Yeah. The idea hit him from, uh, guys that were fishing for tuna and using, you know, those umbrella spreader type rigs. And he's like, well, shoot, I can make something like that to cast on a rod. You know, the only difference was he had to, obviously those rigs they use in saltwater are much larger and designed to be pulled behind the boat. So he had to shrink it down and make it into something you could cast with a rod and, um, but he did. He definitely was influenced by saltwater community. Yeah, uh, good stuff there. Um, yeah. I But, yeah, I thought it was pretty cool. I really – one of my favorite takes on it is the take Paul Elias has. It was in the article, I think, down near the bottom, where, like, he's a believer in the A-Rig, but he thinks because it never got regulated, really. Yep. Uh, he thinks that's why people are b- wanting to ban it because it got too big too fast, kind of. And I, I, I kind of like his take, um, just from a. And it, I mean, FLW has gone out and regulated it. I mean, we've we've put some uh, restrictions in place at the BFL and Rayovac level, and I, I, yep. I dig that. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as the Grantland one, it was pretty interesting because I had never, I'd actually never heard of this particular case. It explored. It went into. It sort of went in depth about a, a case of a guy cheating in the U.S. Open, um, out west, obviously. And but it also had a, a big long story about some guys fishing a TBF tournament on Candlewood, uh, where I just oh, was last weekend. Oh, no kidding! <laughs> <laughs> um, and I was like, oh well, no kidding. And they were talking about you know it was like late it was late in the year, um, probably the same time you know I was out fishing there. He might have been out there that weekend with me or the weekend before. I, I have no <laughs> idea. It from what he was you know talking about it sounded like it just about could have been. Uh, and that was so that was pretty cool to see, and I would encourage you to go read the article. I've I've since sort of seen some comments on on Facebook and stuff that maybe everything in the article wasn't a hundred percent accurate. Oh, um, which I mean I could see that happening because you know it's not like it's not like bass fishing history is chronicled you know, with a great degree of perfection. Right, right. And when you talk to one guy who says one thing, and then you could talk to another guy who says another thing, and especially if you're not someone, it, the you know, the writer, who I think he did a good job on the piece, but he uh, he's not a fisherman. Ah, uh, yeah. So he might, I feel like he may not know exact, as well as a fisherman would, um, maybe not necessarily who to trust, but what to believe. Ah, um, uh, yeah. Or when to when to be like, you know what, I need to dig up more on this. I need to clarify more on this. Mm-hmm. That said, That's a good point. That said, the people who I've, you know, I've seen some objections to the some parts of the article, I don't know enough to say whether they're right or not. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it was a really cool, it was a cool read. Uh, and I would encourage you to take a look at it. That said, I wish fishing would get, I wish fishing would get coverage for being something other than a novelty. Um, that said, you know, we're, we'll get there someday. Maybe. We're working on it. Progress. Yeah. And it, it is, it's, it's cool to, uh, to read that story and see somebody. It's, it, I always like watching people or reading stuff that's written by non-fishermen about fishing but when they put a bunch of time into it, like if they don't put time into it, it's usually terrible. If they put time into it, it's usually kind of a unique perspective. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so there's that. I'm going to have to read that. I haven't read that one yet, but I'll do it as soon as we're done with this podcast. All right. There you go. Um, you got anything else to talk about this week? Any news? Anything uh, you're you're burning up on? Uh, no. I don't think so. All right. Uh, I don't either. So, guys, thanks for uh, thanks for listening. Um, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Jody Blanco. You can follow FLW um, at flwoutdoors.com, uh, on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, on YouTube. Um, I think that's pretty much it. Kyle, you want to talk about emails. Yeah, uh, I was just going to say, you know, if anyone has, uh, you know, something you want to hear Jody or I talk about, uh, on a future episode of the podcast or anyone you want us to talk to specifically, uh, you're more than welcome to email us at podcast at flwfishing.com. Um, it's also a great way to get a hold of me because I'm not as cool as Jody and uh, not on Twitter or Instagram or anything like that. So uh, you got any questions you want specific for me, uh, send us an email. Like I said, podcast at flwfishing.com, and uh, we'll see what we can do. Yeah, I mean, I would say send a lot of emails, mostly to Bug Kyle. Ask him what he's wearing. <laughs> uh, maybe send him pictures of your boats uh, with sort of suggestions on how they would be best duded up. You know, if they'd look good with like a blue LED versus a green LED. Oh, that's a good point. Uh, things like that. Um, some pictures of your motor cowlings. Maybe ideas about new stickers. Because uh, <laughs> he would love to take care of those problems. Oh, Yeah. I'll totally. I'll use the. Uh, I'll use the podcast email for setting up my business for fixing boats up for people. There you go. Well, everybody, uh, thanks for uh, tagging along this episode, and we'll see you next week. See you guys.